Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. You know, we're in a season of new beginnings, aren't we? We're in a time when the whole world is open in front of us. We can be anything we want. We can change if we want to change. We can certainly adopt new ways of doing things. We can take a second look at how we've always done things in the past. And we can try and find a way forward that can be better for us than the way we've done things in the past. So today, we have a hodgepodge of things today. I hope we're going to... uh, we're going to cover a lot of topics, a lot of things to talk about, some intellectual things I'd like to get into a little bit, some things that evoke some thoughts, uh, as well as some uh, opinions about what's going on in the world around us. I want to thank uh, the lovely, beautiful, and talented uh, Kathleen Pangaro, my bride. It will be 40, 40 years since our first date in February. Now, we celebrate our anniversary, which in December will be 39 years married. But we always celebrated our first date. You know, it was, I guess as time went by, you know, we dated for, for a couple of years. We got married. We started a family. And, you know, our marriage has been like, like most people's marriages in one way in that, you know, there's ups and there's downs. There's good parts and there's hard parts. And there's things you have to overcome if you are to survive. And we know that the the statistics on marriage tell us that the average marriage lasts, I think, five to six years. And that's uh, that's about 50% of marriages break up in five to six years. When you get out to 10 years, it's about 75% of marriages in the United States break up after 10 years. That's a, that's a devastating statistic. It's a terrible thing for our country and for our families and for all of us as individuals. But I think when it came to me and Kathleen, we kind of knew from the beginning that there was something special about us being together. I know uh, when I first saw her, you know, I tell this story uh, and, and she laughs and she says, she, she said, well, maybe she, you're not remembering exactly right. No, I, I do remember it exactly right. Uh, I had been in a in a rock and roll band, you know, back in the day. I played guitar with uh, some friends of mine. And we were we were trying to find a way to make a band. You know, we were trying to do our thing and write songs, and that's what we thought we were going to do. And my friend uh, had an older sister, and she was probably at the time we were sixteen, seventeen, maybe. And his sister, I think she was twenty one, maybe she was twenty two. And of course, you know, at sixteen, a twenty two year old is 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 you know. That's that's the big difference in age right there. And she was a beautiful girl, Kelly. And she was friends with a girl named Kathleen, who was about our age. And they used to hang around together, and I, I never really took note of her. Uh, and then one day we were at Kerry's house, and we were doing something. We were up in the attic looking for, for clothes, you know, things that we could use for our stage show. You know, we were trying to play in this rock and roll band. And the, the door opens to the attic, and, and up comes um, Carrie's sister, Kelly. And with her, like, it, it was amazing. 
uh, Kathleen had this blonde hair. She was just such a beautiful girl, smiling face. She, she just radiated in every room she went into. And as she came up through those stairs, it was like something you could put in a movie. You know, you just see this, oh, man, as she came up the stairs. And she just captivated me, you know, just looking at her, just captivated me with this, this beautiful smile and so bubbly and excited. And they introduced me. Oh, this is, you know, this is my friend Kathleen. And she lives right up the street, which was funny. She lived a few doors down from my friend Kerry. So that was, a, it was a nice introduction there. And I remember saying to the fellas, uh, hey, uh, how do I get that girl's number? I want to give her a call. And they're like, listen, uh, she's a beautiful girl. She don't date guys our age. She dates guys a little bit older than us, you know, so you got no chance. And I, it was funny because I remember saying to them, really? Not only will she date me, she will have my children. You know, it was pretty bold, a pretty bold approach there. But I guess it was, I don't know, maybe six months later, maybe a little longer, six months later, uh, sometime in the wintertime, and I'm out at this local bar. Now, the drinking age was 18 uh, back in the day when I was running around. But when you were 17, you could get into a bar. You could go in and, you know, nobody carded you. Nobody was as worried about things as they are today. And it was not a big deal. You go in and you have cocktails. So I go in there on a Friday night with a bunch of my friends. And there was a guy playing music there. So, of course, we wanted to go see the music. And while I'm there, I look across the bar. And there's this beautiful young girl that I had been introduced to, my friend Carrie's friend, Kathy. So one thing led to another over the course of the night. It was, it was your classic pursuit. I went over and I started talking to her. Uh, we had a nice time. We had a cocktail. Uh, and then, you know, we went our separate ways for a while. And then we bounced into each other again later in the evening. And I was very, very interested in this girl. I really wanted to go out with her. And at some point, um, there, was, there was something going on. And I think... I don't remember exactly. It was a house party or something going on. And she says, listen, I'm going to this house party with some of my friends. Do you and some of your friends want to come? Well, nobody wanted to come but me. So I ended up going to the house party and I danced with this beautiful girl. And it was really wonderful. And I said to her, well, would you like to go out on a regular date? And that date uh, was our first. That was in the month of February. And we went out on our first real date. I think we went to the movies uh, it was, you know, your classic date. I picked her up in my, uh, at the time, I had my mother's station wagon, you know, the big uh, Ford uh, station wagon, because that's all I had. And I picked her up, and we went to the movies, and it was, we laughed, and we joked, and we had so much fun together. It was really great. It was pretty clear that I liked this girl, and something should happen. So we celebrate that first anniversary uh, every single year. And the reason that I, I want to thank her is because throughout the course of our lives together, Kathleen has challenged me to be a better person, a better human being. She's challenged me to be smarter than I was. She's challenged me to be kinder than I ever was. She's made me a better person by allowing me to be with her. So when I, when I talk about, you know, going forward, I want to thank her uh, for that because she, she opened my eyes to lots of things. And recently, she opened my eyes to somebody you probably all know, or at least you've heard of, is uh, Jordan Peterson. Uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, he's a clinical uh, psychologist, and he's a public speaker and an author, and he writes about the human condition and people and doing the right thing, and really a wonderful guy. But I got to tell you, I listened uh, to, I think it was like an hour and a half long podcast that he did when he's talking about 
some things he wanted people to know about moving forward, uh, getting over problems of your past and how to how to deal with yourself, to understand your emotional strength. It was really a very interesting conversation. But if you ever want to understand what it's like in Lieutenant Joe's head, listen to Jordan Peterson as he goes from one topic to another topic to another topic and he bounces around and he fleshes out ideas and he comes up with something new. It was interesting. But Kathleen uh, introduced me to that uh, and, I, and I really enjoyed it. So that's, that's something I'm going to suggest to you. Uh, Jordan Peterson, very interesting guy. So like I said, we're going to go round and round today. Now, near and dear to my heart is the uh, city of New York. I like New York City. I've always enjoyed going there. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful place when it's safe. It's currently not so safe. There's lots of problems. We have a new mayor in New York, Eric Adams, who was a, a brother police officer. Uh, he served many years. I think he retired as a captain. And, uh, you know, there was high hopes for a lot of people that, you know, he was going up against Curtis Sliwa, a longtime Guardian Angel founder, who Curtis, Curtis is a very conservative kind of guy, very law enforcement, pro-safety and security. And that's really what New York needs right now to straighten itself out. But uh, Eric won fair and square. He won the, uh, the election. And there was a lot of high hopes that he was going to be a great mayor, that he would be able to fix the city, save the city, turn the city around from, from what Mayor de Blasio has done. Uh, to the city, which has really uh, made it unsafe, made it unclean. Uh, it's really been tough with all the vaccine mandates and, and everything that they're doing with the schools. It's been really tough for the city. The city's having a, a tough time, and the people who are living there are having a tough time, whether they're willing to admit it or not. Um, and I say that because a lot of people there are very progressive, very very much on the left, and they won't admit when things are bad because of how th their beliefs. So therefore, we just don't really know exactly what people think. But when you talk to them on the street, they don't like it. It's dangerous. You know, it's a very dangerous place. Uh, you go out certain places and you can be victimized by crime. Now, Eric had this, uh, this idea that he was going to be this law and order kind of guy. But unfortunately, uh, since he's taken over, he has jumped on the whole, you know, going to stick with the uh, no bail kind of thing for people, let everybody back out. Um, He's made friends with this, uh, the new, um, the new prosecutor that they have there. Uh, this gentleman has come out and said basically, uh, he's not going to prosecute certain crimes. He's going to allow, uh, if you do an armed robbery with a gun, you take a gun and you walk into a store, and stick a gun in somebody's face and say, "Give me all your money." As long as you don't hurt anybody, that will be prosecuted as a misdemeanor. Never mind the absolute sheer terror it puts people in. Never mind the potential danger it puts people in for walking around carrying a gun uh, and then going in and robbing somebody. Because you have to figure somewhere along the line, uh, this message is going to become very, very clear to people who are prone to commit crime. If someone is a criminal uh, and they, they find out now that the prosecutor says, uh, we're really not going to prosecute anything but murder and maybe really aggravated sexual assault with injuries. Other than that, we're, we're not going to prosecute a lot of things. So basically, they've said, go ahead and commit whatever crimes you want. Just don't hurt anybody. So you have to imagine that that message is going to be heard loud and clear by, by the people who are prone to want to go do these kind of things. And at some point, you can, you can picture the scenario. Somebody's going to get their gun, and they're going to walk into a store. They're going to stick that gun in somebody's face, and they're going to say, give me all your money. 
uh, and then the person will accidentally pull the trigger or they will flinch or somebody will walk in and they'll uh, inadvertently put and people are going to die. Uh, and will that be considered an armed robbery or will that be considered a mistake? I don't know. But when you when you tell people that they can commit crimes, basically, we're not going to prosecute you. What do you think you're going to get? You're going to get more and more crime. So unfortunately, I think it looks like um, Mayor Adams is, is he kind of think I probably concealed his his progressive attitudes, his left wing attitudes. And I think we're going to see how it goes. I hope I hope for sure it um, the city is saved that we can have a wonderful place to go back to again because it really is a wonderful city. And I guess time will tell whether or not that's going to happen. But it looks like Mayor Adams is going a little bit to the left, and I think he's going to veer that way because uh, I think he has bigger political aspirations as well. I think he sees himself as governor uh, and in, in higher offices as he goes. So we're going to see what's going to happen. Uh, there was a possibility that he may have vetoed the uh, city council that was going to allow 800,000 non-citizens to vote in local New York elections. And he was hemming and hawing whether he was going to do that. And people are saying, well, that's a pretty good test. If you're going to let illegal uh, citizens, uh, non-citizens vote in elections, um, that would be a pretty progressive left-wing thing to do. So the, the way this guy has presented himself, he's probably going to go in and veto that because we can't have uh, almost a million people voting uh, that are not citizens. That's not what the vote is for. Well, it looks like he's going to sign that bill. And he's going to allow almost a million people to determine uh, what goes on in the city. Now, you say, okay, well, it's just fair. They live there too. Whether they're illegal or they're undocumented or they live there too. They have a right to vote. Um, well, what about the people that do live there that, that are legal American citizens? Don't they have a right, right to make their decisions? Uh, you know, if I go to France, I don't get to vote in their elections because this is what I'm feeling. I've rented an apartment, so I'm going to vote in the elections. No, I'm not a French citizen, so I, I don't think I would. I wouldn't even expect to vote in in their elections. But this is kind of the place that we're at now. All right, so just let's everybody pay attention to that because as New York goes, I think goes a lot of the country, and there's all this big hype now. Uh, there's a big hype that uh, the the Republicans are going to take back the uh, House of Representatives uh, in 2022. Matter of fact, they're not just going to take it back; it's going to be a landslide. It's going to be such a big take back. It's going to shock everyone. It's going, it's going to change the world. Well, do you believe that? You know, I think the indicators might be there. I don't think people like $4 a gallon gasoline. And I don't think people like uh, empty store shelves. And I don't think people like 6 to 8 to 10% inflation uh, eating away at their income. I don't think people like the open borders and, and millions of people coming here undocumented, not being tested for COVID. I don't think people like all these things that the current administration seems to think is just fine and dandy and the way to go. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Nancy Pelosi and the Congress and the things they're voting for. So the, th the feeling is, is that people are going to be so offended by all of this that they're going to vote in huge numbers for the Republican Party so that they take over uh, and straighten things out. Well, I would hope that that happens because I think we're, we, we've listed way too far to the left. Uh, I think we have to have a very, very robust uh, ability to have immigration into the country. I think immigration helps us. 
uh, having different people here, I think, is wonderful. But we have to do it the right way. You know, we don't just open the door and let everybody in. We have to know who's coming. That's it's just common sense stuff. But will they actually take over? Will the Republicans actually win? I don't know. And here's why. Here's why I don't know. When you look, and for the longest time, the generic vote, the Republican candidate over the Democrat candidate was about 15%. About 15%. That's a huge number. That means it looked like it would go that way. Well, that number evened out. And matter of fact, uh, the Democrats kind of went up by two points. So how is it that at this point, when we see the results of policy, when we see the results of left-wing policies and how it affects our daily lives, how can people say, well, that's okay, let's keep it going. Let's, let's have higher taxes, let's have more regulation, let's shut down businesses, let's mandate everything, this, that, and the other thing. And the fact that we see that one indicator going that way, uh, when it should be a thousand percent in the other direction, I would think, wouldn't you? If people are not happy with this, uh, which tells me that people are probably happy with it. They're probably okay with it. We know that the 35 to 40 percent of young people say that socialism is the better way to go and that that's actually the optimum kind of a government. Uh, and as they get older and they start to vote, we're going to see that more and more and more. And that may be where we end up uh, because of that, because that's the perceptions people have. And, and when people vote, you get what you vote for. You know, it's as simple as that. So I find it interesting. Uh, the other thing you also see when you talk to people and they, they're mad at Congress, Congress normally has, you know, a, like a 9% approval rating, 9%, right? They, people really don't like the politicians, but they like their own politician. Well, I'm going to vote for her because she's good. I'm going to vote for him because he's good. The rest of them have to go, but she's good. No, he's good. So when it comes down to it, um, I don't know that people are actually going to make that big switch. And we know that the younger people are going the other way. So we'll have to see how it goes. I, ju I just find some interesting things going into the year as we're starting all over. You know, did you go out and uh, did you go out and get a gym membership? Am I do that? Uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be new you, new year, new you, new me, right? That kind of thing. Is that what you're doing? Mm, some people have, some people haven't. You know, the better is the better thing to do. I would think would be to just determine to have a healthier life going forward. You know, do more healthy things, do things that are better for you as opposed to, I'm going to join a gym and go every day because it's, it's really hard to do. Not everybody can do it. And we know that uh, gyms are usually filled in January and February and by March, uh, they're back to what they normally were. So just a thought, just a little Lieutenant Joe thought there on doing the right thing going forward. Where does that leave us now? Now we can look at the Supreme Court. You know, the ultimate uh, arbiter in our, in our country is the Supreme Court. Now, first of all, I want to give a shout out to my father-in-law, Ted. Ted, how are you out there? I know you're listening. Ted listens to America Out Loud all day long. He loves all the shows, and he especially loves Chasing Justice, which is good. Uh, and, and Ted and I are having these conversations all the time about what things that we see that are right and wrong going on in the country. And he asks the question, uh, all the time. He goes, why doesn't somebody do something about this? We all see how wrong this is, whatever whatever the incident is. Why doesn't the Supreme Court reach in and go, that's wrong and it, we're not going to allow it? And it, it, it's one instance, I guess, if they did things that you were agreed on, that would probably be a good thing. You know, somebody would, somebody would do something. That's what I think a lot of us are feeling powerless, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. You feel powerless 
to really um, to change things, to make a difference in how things are. Because right now we are really so evenly split. It really is 49-51, and it depends on the day which way that 49-51 split goes. So we're all feeling a little tension, a little frustration with the other side, whatever that other side is, because we think it should be our way. That's a normal uh, way to look at things, that our way is the right way. There is no huge majority. You know, for years I heard people say that, well, America is really a, a, a major uh, conservative country. Uh, that's really what we are, a majority conservative country, uh, but with some social leanings for social policy. Uh, but then you see the elections don't come out that way. You don't see this major conservative thing. You see uh, weak Republicans elected. You don't see a strong Republican elected. You see Republicans that are, you know, rhinos, rhino, Republican in name only, or they're, they're very close to the Democrats. Um, so you don't really see that strength. So I don't know that, that this election is going to go over big for the Republicans. Uh, I guess I suppose it could or it could not. But that's something that... Um, the, these votes are going to come down to. But our Supreme Court, you know, uh, the Supreme Court has the final say in many laws. Their job is that when a law is put into place or something takes place in our society, is it constitutional? Did it follow the law? Is it appropriate? And it works its way through the court system. So if I feel I'm aggrieved, I go to court and a court makes a decision. Uh, say I get stopped and I get searched and people find my ivermectin and my hydroxychloroquine, uh, and the, the, the Congress has made that illegal because those are verboten drugs. You're not allowed to take them to fight COVID. Even if they work, you're not allowed, right? So I get arrested, and I go to court, and I'm found guilty of possession of these, uh, these banned substances. Well, I don't agree with that, so I do an appeal, and now the appeal goes to the appellate division in my state, and I lose, and I still don't like that. Now I appeal it to my state Supreme Court. My state Supreme Court fines against me again. And now I can go through the federal courts if I feel that my rights were violated in this conviction or whatever. And then it goes to the appellate division. And then from there, it can end up in the Supreme Court. And they are going to make a decision uh, that can affect the entire country because they're a federal court and, and how that comes out can affect everybody. So that's really a, a very important and powerful court to have you know so when, when ted and i are talking and we're thinking about why doesn't why don't they step down and do the right thing it's because we're all feeling vulnerable that there is nobody doing the right thing but i will say that that is i guess based on your point of view if your point of view is that the right thing is to push us into socialism and you got people who are fighting that that's not right you know you want the court to step in and say you know you're allowed to do it. whatever you get my point well recently the supreme court is hearing uh, on the OSHA mandates about whether or not you have to take the vaccine, whether you have to take the vaccine or not for COVID. Now, this uh, is probably one of the biggest arguments that's going on in our country. We're being told you have to take the vaccine. Uh, some people, a lot of people don't want to take the vaccine because they don't trust it. And we're told, no, no, you have to trust it. It's perfectly safe. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're a nut. If you don't take it, you want to kill people with your COVID. You know, with all the arguments that go round and round. When in reality, it should be a personal decision whether or not you want to take it. Um, having your government come in and tell you what you have to take. And I know, I know, I know. Uh, well, they make us take rebella for, to go to school and they make us take this. What's, why is this different? 
And there is an argument to be made there. There is a precedent um, that we, we can be mandated to take certain things or you can't participate in going to school. What's different about this, and this is a conversation I was having with, uh, with Jimmy Giordano the other day, in that because there is a precedent, uh, like polio, you had to take the polio vaccine, right, to go to school. You have to take uh, rubella. You have to take all these other things to go to school or they won't let you in the school because you can spread those diseases to other people. And if you take those vaccines, you will not be a spreader, nor will you get it. Those vaccines were tried and true. They were studied for many years. Uh, they didn't just come out in five months uh, with new technology. They were tried and true technology. And people saw that, hey, we took this and polio basically disappeared. All right. We, 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 we did the uh, rubella and, and German measles was gone. Uh, all those kind of things. Uh, they were tried and true. They actually worked, you know. With the problem here with the COVID vaccines is that they're still experimental. And, we do, and people do die from taking it, more people than die from others. Now, you don't know that probably because we're not allowed to give those statistics. That's on social media. They would ban you if you said a thing like that. But uh, the statistics are there. Normally, uh, from what I understand, I could be wrong, if a new vaccine comes out and 500 people die from it, because people do, you put anything into your body, it could hurt you negatively. Uh, and 500 people die, they pull it off the market because they realize, uh-oh, this is really a problem, 500 people. Well, with the COVID vaccines, there's been way more than thousands, 5,000, 10,000 people who have died from the vaccine, and we haven't pulled it off the market. And that's a question. That's what leads people to question. How come? Why is that true? How come I can't know that statistic, right? So with this OSHA mandate that people with 100 employees or, or more have got to be vaccinated or they can't go to work. We see people losing their jobs. We see people quitting. We see people getting fired over the vaccine mandate. And the question is, can a regulatory agency like OSHA demand we do such a thing? Well, our Supreme Court's going to make that decision very, very soon and let us know. And it could go either way. There's no guarantee how this is going to go. Uh, the reality here is that um, because there are precedents for making people take vaccines, you know, to go to school. You don't have to go to school. You could stay home, but you can't go to school if you don't take you know, the vaccines that are out there. What makes this one different, like I said, is because it's experimental. We don't know. We don't know the facts, and people are afraid. Lots of people are afraid, and they've pretty much drawn their lines whether they're going to take it or not. Now, can, they, can people be fired? And So this is what the court has got to take up. The court has got to address this one way or another. And if the court says, yeah, they can do it, well, then you have a choice to make. You either take the vaccine uh, or you don't. Now, the problem is if I take the vaccine and I die, um, who does my family sue if I died because of the vaccine? Who can they sue? Anybody? No, they can't sue anybody. Uh, basically, they just basically have to just deal with it. Uh, even though it was experimental, I had to take it to do my livelihood. Well, I guess you don't have to take it, Lieutenant Joe. You can, uh, you can just not have your livelihood. Does that make any sense? Is that really where we want to go? I don't know. So we're going to find that out. But recently, we, we, we could hear the, the justices as they ask questions. And you got to be sure that over the years, I've listened to the Supreme Court as they ask questions and, and the attorneys uh, give them their, their answers and pose other concepts or whatever. You really can't tell how the court's going to come down. You know, for all we hear about this conservative court, the six to three court, they certainly don't vote that way, do they? And we know that uh, 
Chief Justice John Roberts uh, is falling right into the mold of previous Republican nominees, that he sides more and more with the left side of the court, the more progressive side of the court. Uh, he's not a vote you can count on for a conservative vote. So it's really not six to three. It's more five to four, maybe. Uh, and you can't always count on on who's going to vote for what, because the justices all have their own understanding of the law, and they apply it, and, and they come up with it. What I think is interesting is that Justice Sotomayor uh, recently made some comments uh, about COVID uh, and why we should allow the mandate. And basically, she said, there's over 100,000 children that have this right now, with many of them on ventilators. Um, and the CDC, the head of the CDC, uh, the woman, I can't think of her name, uh, she came out and basically said, uh, Justice Sotomayor, uh, you're wrong by about 96.4% of what you just said. There's 3,500 kids uh, who are on ventilators, not 100,000, as she said. So it, it poses a question, did she not know that information or did she purposely get it wrong? Uh, I don't know which is worse. If she didn't know the information, but she's going she's gonna to vote uh, on how you and I are going to have to function without having the real knowledge, um, it seems to me that's, that's bad. If she does know the truth and she said something different, that's even worse, isn't it? That, that, that would kind of say a political motive. So I, I can't speak for her. I don't know if she has a political motive. But uh, we're hearing from CDC and from all these other health-related people, you know, let's follow the science, that the Omicron uh, is is much easier to catch. It's it's very transmissible, but the symptoms are, are very light. You know, people are not dying from Omicron. You get a headache, you don't feel well for a few days, uh, and then you get over it. Well, she's got 100,000 people, and it's just as bad, just as deadly as the Delta variant and all these other ones. I, I don't know. That seems to me to not be correct based on what these scientists are telling us. But this is what we're dealing with. You know, uh, with our Supreme Court, are they really not aware of the information and the truth? Uh, or are they being political? I don't know. But either way, they're going to be making a decision very, very soon. We should be looking for that. So I, I just wanted to cover those couple of things here in our first our first little get-together. Um, you know, it is, it is an opportunity to do new things today. You can be a new person. You know, and I'm thinking about one particular person uh, in general, a very, very good friend of mine who's a, a good and decent man. Um, but he's having a hard time. He's struggling. He's struggling uh, with getting his act together. He's strutting, struggling with his place in life. He's struggling with wanting to do more. He's struggling with the political world. And I want to talk about that for just a little bit when we come back here on Chasing Justice with Lieutenant Joe Pangaro on the America out Loud Radio Network. Healthy Cell makes a wonderful line of products, and I want to spend just a minute with you on REM sleep. Do you know Healthy Cell's product has calming herbs, amino acids, minerals, and sleep hormone support for the four-stage human sleep cycle? Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and achieve REM, or rapid eye movement sleep. Through the phases, fall asleep easily. That component of sleep is favorably impacted by melatonin, lemon balm extract, and GABA, lowering the body temperature. That element is influenced by glycine, magnesium, and calcium. 
deep lasting sleep, L-theanine, vitamin D3, and vitamin B6, and finally, creativity boosting REM sleep, 5-HTP, vitamin B6, and GABA. Many of us think we need to sleep because we're short on sleep, but we need quality sleep, so please consider Healthy Cell REM sleep supplement. I have one tonight, and I'm going to have a much better night's sleep if I uh, compared to if not taking it. So go to uh, HealthyCell.com, and in the promo box, uh, type in out loud, and that'll give you a 20% uh, discount off your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Well, there was a time when Americans could rely on the fourth estate. Well, in these challenging times, the media is both reckless and complicit. AmericaOutloud.com. Top analysis from leading experts, articles, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, my friends. Welcome back to the show that never ends, Chasing Justice, here on the America Out Loud Radio Network. All right, so when we're talking about getting healthy and staying healthy, I'm going to talk for a minute about Healthy Cell. I'm just going to mention it to you because I think you need to know about it. Uh, I started taking this because I heard it advertised here on the network, and I said, oh, you know, I'm looking for a supplement. Let me find something, see if I, see if I like it. I tried it. I felt better. And then I, I tried to do my own study. You know, I'm not a scientist. I don't play one on TV. But I said, you know what? I took it for four or five weeks. I started feeling better, uh, feeling healthy. I didn't get colds like I usually get colds. I said, you know what? Let me stop taking it and see what happens. Well, three, four weeks went by, and I, I got a sinus infection. I got a head cold. I started taking it again. And I got to tell you now, it's been months and months and months. And I haven't had a problem. You know, if it starts to feel like something's coming on, boom, it's gone. You know, and I'm saying, is it COVID? Is it COVID? And then it's gone the next day. So uh, I'm very, very happy with Healthy Cell and their Immune Boost product. Uh, I suggest you give it a try if you're looking for one. If you're having trouble sleeping, uh, they have one for REM sleep. So Healthy Cell, they're here on the network. Check it out. You know, uh, the great Malcolm Out Loud would not allow them on their network if they weren't good. Uh, and I've tried them out personally, and I do like them. So I'm just going to pass that on to you. If you're looking for something, try Healthy Cell. Seriously. Uh, it's worked for me and uh, worked for Miss Kathleen, so we're, we're okay. All right, so we ended our last segment, and we were talking about a good friend of mine who's having a hard time uh, going forward. And I guess what's really bringing this all together was listening, again, I listened to uh, a podcast uh, by Jordan Peterson, and basically his, his point was, you know, how do you go forward? What's natural for humans to go forward? How do we struggle and get stuck behind? And one of the things he had said really, really connected to me. You know, people, a lot of people have life trauma. You know, they have trauma from, from their young age. Uh, things happen to them in childhood that are, that are not good. And it can last with you for your entire life. And I know that that's really true. Uh, as he was talking about it, describing it, one, a patient that he saw, a man who was 58 years old, uh, had a very, very hard time as a child. As a matter of fact, he had constant recurring nightmares, uh, and they all took place, and he was five years old in all the dreams. All of his, his trauma came from when he was four, five, and six years old. And even at 58 years old, 
his current life problems, his fact that he couldn't get over those things that happened to him, you know, 54 years earlier, uh, were really screwing up his life. And it was Jordan Peters, Peterson's the evaluation that you have to go back and look at those things and, and evaluate them. And I started thinking about my friend and I'm saying, you know, I'm going to have to turn him on to Jordan Peterson, especially that one particular podcast, because I think my friend is trapped. Uh, I think he is trapped in some trauma. Now, not, not necessarily his young, young life, uh, but I think more of the time, you know, that in-between life, when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, those are important things. You know, what's going to happen to you? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do in life? What are your opportunities? What don't you have? And when I look back, uh, as I've told you all my history, um, came from very, very modest beginnings. My dad passed away early and, you know, I had to go to work. I had to, had to make a life. And my friend, uh, we'll call him Bobby, my friend Bobby uh, was just like me, same kind of a family. Uh, mom was divorced, a bunch of brothers and sisters. It was a very loving home. I spent a lot of time there. It was a very loving home. Uh, his mom was very loving. His brothers and sisters treated me like a brother. Uh, it was. I spent a lot of time in there, and I enjoyed my time there. Uh, we, we were making music together. We were doing stuff going forward. We had plans. We had big plans of how we were going to break out of our condition in life, you know, our poverty uh, and our low status, you know, uh, that's what we were going to do. And as we started doing it, we started to have some minor success. You know, minor, my kids tease me all the time. Oh, you were some big rock star, huh? No, I wasn't a big rock star. But we had a band, and at 16, 17 years old, we wrote our own songs. We had our own stage show. We were trying to manage it like a business, you know, we're trying to manage it like a business. We had to be something if we expected people to buy tickets and come see us and, and be a successful band. So we tried to work that out. We tried to make that into a real realistic thing. And we had good head start going. You know, we were good songwriters. We were having fun with it. Um, but we didn't have all the parts. We certainly didn't have all the parts we needed. We didn't have the funding we needed. So it was, it was very difficult. And to go along with, you know, what I was telling you before, that's just about the time I met my beautiful bride. Now, anybody in rock and roll will tell you, uh, bands are broken up by women. Well, after I met my beautiful bride, my priorities in life changed. You know, the whole idea of being a rock and roll guy um, was great when I was single. But once I had found the love of my life, and Kathleen is the love of my life, once I found her, my perspective on life changed. My idea of what I wanted changed. You know, instead of this, you know, wild rock and roll uh, life uh, that I thought I wanted to have, what I really wanted to have was a very well-connected and loving family. My family was very loving. You know, my father was a great father. My mother was a great mother. My brother's a great brother. And when my dad died, our family fell apart. You know, I mean, we stayed together, the three of us, but the whole general idea of family was dashed for us. Um, we lost our income. We lost our opportunities. Uh, there was no college for me and my brother. We, we both had to go to work and to feed everybody. So it was, it was difficult, right? And, uh, and when I found Kathleen, we both had the same idea about what a good family would be, that family would be the most important thing. So the whole idea of, of jetting off uh, on some rock and roll lifestyle, uh, imitating my favorite band, Aerosmith, by the way, um, imitating them no longer had priority for me. 
my priorities had changed. And what I wanted was I wanted to find a stable career now. You know, I still love music. I still love to this day I love to write music and play music. It's a good relaxer. But I made a decision that that wasn't my future for income. That wasn't the way I was going to do things. And unfortunately for my friend Bobby, uh, he was he was all on board. He didn't have a significant other person in his life. Uh, and the one that he did have, uh, his relationship was tough and they broke up. And he was heartbroken that they broke up. Uh, and I'm not going to go into all the reasons, but, you know, a lot of them were things he caused, the things he wanted from the relationship or how he wanted it to go. And the young lady just didn't want any part of that. She wanted, she had her own idea. And they broke up, as many relationships do. And unfortunately, as my life started to take on a different trajectory, a more traditional trajectory, where I was more concerned with getting a good career together, finding something I could do to support a family and support my new wife, and have the things that a family has, start thinking about children and moving forward to have, a, have that family, you know, our paths started to, to separate. You know, our paths started to separate. Uh, and my friend Bobby uh, and I, who were really very, very close for many years, were less and less close. Now, I offered him my family. You know, you could be close with my family. Everybody here loves you and knows you. But he didn't want it. He resented it. He saw it as something that uh, interrupted his plans. And he's right, it did. My decisions interrupted his plans, for sure. But, you know, that's what that happens in life. You know, things change. You have to be prepared. And that's what Jordan Peterson was saying. You have to evaluate. So when I look at this, uh, there was a period of time that me and this very, very good friend didn't speak anymore. You know, our lives just so totally changed. You know, we went from rock and roll wild men to uh, me married with children and him still being single and wanting to live that crazy rock and roll lifestyle. Uh, and then I got a job as a law enforcement officer. You know, and then our worlds really diverged to the point that we didn't really speak other than once every couple of years if we would run across each other somewhere. We didn't speak for 30 years. And it's only in the last four or five years that we've had a, uh, an ability to get back together again as friends. Uh, it, was, it was difficult. I'll tell you that story sometime. But my friend Bobby... Unfortunately, he's very dissatisfied with his life. He never ended up being a rock and roll guy. He never ended up being a photographer that he wanted to be. He never ended up finding the love of his life. Uh, he had a series of relationships that crashed and burned. Uh, he could never just find those things. And unfortunately, he floundered uh, for quite a while. And right now, to this day, he's, he's very unhappy with his life. He's very uh, sad about the way his state of his life as now he's getting older uh, and he's saying, you know, I have nobody, I have nothing, I don't have a house, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of cash, I don't have a career. And they are things that, that, that could be very, very bad. But his trauma comes from those years. And what I would want to tell him and anybody, and I, what I found wisdom in Jordan Peterson's conversation, was that if you go back and you look face to face, with the traumas that you had to deal with, maybe you can overcome them. And his point was his friend who was 58 years old or his patient who was 58 years old and saw himself as a five-year-old victim, one of the things that helped him to overcome that was realize, you know, now I'm 58 years old. If I went back into that situation, I could fight. I could take care of myself. I could do the right thing. 
And he had to see it in that perspective. And when he did, he actually got better. He managed to solve a lot of his problems. So this is what I'm going to offer to my friend Bobby uh, in an attempt to help him. So uh, thank you for letting me uh, tell you that uh, that's jer- that journey. But you know, we probably all know people like this, don't we? People that are that are stuck uh, in their life and they can't seem to move forward. And there's problems. And this is this is the season of change. This is the opportunity for you to uh, make that decision. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to hope to help my friend. Now, along those same lines, as long as we're, we're thinking about this, I do want to think about some people I introduced us to a couple of weeks ago. And I don't, again, I don't want to bring everybody down, but I want to give you some updates on things that are going on here. Uh, a very, very close friend of mine, very, very close friend of mine, um, him and his wife, uh, wonderful, beautiful people. They've been close with me for... Uh, 40 years, if not more. Uh, Well, over the Christmas holiday, they both ended up with COVID. And they ended up in the hospital. And after about a week or so, he recovered enough where he could leave. He was over it. His wife did not. His wife was really, really ill. And the COVID got the best of her. And unfortunately, I had told everybody about this uh, in a previous episode, uh, that she was hanging on. Uh, as best as she could. Unfortunately, uh, this sweet, wonderful, beautiful girl uh, has lost her battle with COVID and she has passed on Uh, and she's gone. And my my very good friend is inconsolable. His heart is broken. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, It's it's one of those transition moments in life. But my point is that this COVID is, is very serious. This COVID is very, very serious, and we all have to make decisions on what we want to do, how we're going to attack it. What is infuriating for me and for Kathleen, I think, at this point, is that we have no idea what what happened in the hospital. You know, we hear the horror stories. They put you on remdesivir, uh, and then we hear people tell you that that can attack your organs and hurt you, that they don't treat you in any other way. There's no treatment for this COVID, or there's no treatment that they will legitimize, even though we do know there are treatments. Uh, now, I know there's people sitting in their basement taking notes right now. Oh, Lieutenant Joe, he's a conspiracy nut. He thinks, you know, if you take horse dewormer, you'll be safe. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, you know, I think maybe all of us as a country now should look up and say, if you're vaccinated, you can still get the virus. If you're vaccinated, double vaxxed, boosted, you can still get it. You can still give it. Um, maybe the only benefit is that you won't die. Maybe. Um, maybe we should start looking at, is there treatments? And I can tell you there are treatments. Um, there are treatments, there are medications that can save you. Uh, and I don't know if everybody knows about it. Uh, and I know a lot of people will tell you once you get to the hospital, if they, they bring you into that hospital, your chances of saving yourself are over. And if you get on a ventilator, uh, your chances of survival are only, I think about 35%. So the key is to beg those in power uh, stop with whatever's going on, why they're doing what they're doing, and let's work on not just the vaccine, let's work on some treatments because there are treatments that do work. Uh, you don't know about them because you're not allowed to talk about them. If you talk about them on social media, they'll ban you, they'll throw you off. People will write notes about you in their basement and try and get you to lose your job uh, when you talk about this because there's only one, there's only one, the vaccine, and that's it. But there is more that could be done and should be done. Hopefully, I know Pfizer has a pill that's supposed to be coming out that's supposed to be very helpful. I hope that gets out here soon. But I want to pass that on to uh, 
to let everybody know. Uh, I know I got a lot of emails um, from people were telling me, you know, they were sending their prayers for my friend. And I purposely didn't mention my friend's name for their privacy. But uh, just know that she was a good and decent and wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, she will be missed by her family and her friends and everybody else. But this is the kind of thing that can happen to us with this COVID. The other person I want to talk about real quick is a man that I got to be friendly with, uh, become friends over the course of time. And he was diagnosed uh, with, uh, with colon cancer. And by the time they found it, he had no symptoms, no symptoms at all. He was a healthy guy in great shape, you know, did all the right things. And he got diagnosed, uh, and turned out he was like stage four. Well, we, we don't know what he was going to do. Is he going to, you know, continue on or what's his chances? And, uh, I recently found out, uh, from him that basically he has decided to stop the chemo He's not going to do anything, and the doctors have said um, if he's very, very, very lucky, he may have a couple of months left. Uh, more likely, he has a couple of weeks left. Now, that's very sad. That's very sad to see a good and decent person struck down basically in their prime at 60 years old uh, who have dedicated their lives to other people. Uh, he's a tremendous man, and again, I won't give his name for his privacy, but... Uh, really an exemplary human being who served uh, schools and children his entire career. He was a, a tremendous educator uh, and wonderful person and a personal friend of mine. And I'm very, very sad to think that he's gone. But um, he's not gone yet. Well, strike that. I shouldn't say he's, he's not gone yet. Um, as of today, uh, myself and uh, Jim Giordano, who's on the on the program here from the neighborhood, we haven't heard from Jim in a while because of the COVID, but we have plans to get everybody back together uh, from the neighborhood. But uh, Jim and I are both friends with this man, and uh, very, very soon we've decided we're going to get together uh, for a couple of adult beverages, and we are going to celebrate the man's life and his ability to uh, say goodbye to his family, you know, uh, uh, that's something that not everybody gets. You know, I know uh, lots of people out there pass away unexpectedly in a car accident or uh, a disease that jumps up and grabs them and away they go. Uh, like my dad, massive heart attack and gone at a young age. And I know for many of you, you know people who have been in that situation. This man has had the opportunity to say goodbye to his family, to make peace with his God. Um, and people are telling him how much they love him and how much he meant to them. And I think that's extremely important. I am going to try really hard um, to, to dig down into this with him a little bit because I think it's important. And I don't, I don't want to be selfish about it, but I want to understand uh, what he feels and thinks. You know, how does he see the world? Has it changed him? I mean, here's, you know, we all know that we all have a, a time limit. There's an expiration date on all of us, right? Everybody, everybody, nobody gets out of here alive, as they say. We're all going to die. You just don't know when, you know, are you going to be an 85-year-old person sleeping in your bed and away you go? Or are you going to be 60 and have this terrible cancer jump up and grab you in three months and, and you're gone? I, I don't know, but I, I think that there's some value in what he has to say in his journey, if he's willing to tell it. If he's willing to tell his, his journey, uh, I want to know it because I want to understand it and, and see where it can help other people. Uh, so just keep... Keep everybody I've talked about in your prayers, if you would. I know you're, you're a good group of people out there in Chasing Justice Land, and, 
you know, we, we have a faith and we have an understanding that there's a bigger world in here. But I want to update you on that because I did, I did get a ton of emails uh, from people asking about my friends and how are they doing, who's doing what. So that, that's our update, uh, as sad as that may be. So as long as we're on that sad road, let's throw one more in there. Um, Bob Saget has passed away. Bob Saget was, uh, what was he, uh, Tanner? Uh, Danny Tanner in the TV show uh, from the 1980s and 90s. My kids used to watch that. We used to watch uh, Friday night, ABC Friday night. It was, uh, you know, Full House, and then there was uh, it was about seven or eight shows altogether that we used to watch in, on Friday and Saturday night as a family, and, and he was one of them. He was a funny guy. Uh, interesting about Bob Saget. You know, as clean-cut as this guy was in his, in his show Full House, when he did a comedy routine as a stand-up guy, I was shocked. I heard a stand-up routine by Bob Saget, and he says, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not uh, Danny Tanner. I'm, uh, I'm Bob Saget." And uh, man, there was some off-color material. There was some surprise. Well, funny guy was very talented. Just not something you would expect to come out of Danny Tanner's mouth. Well, unfortunately, uh, Bob Saget passed away apparently very unexpectedly at 65 years old. Uh, he was on a tour doing a show. He'd just done a great show in Jacksonville, Florida. He was getting ready to do more dates. And he uh, apparently expired in his hotel room. Uh, and right now, we and nobody has any idea what happened. Was it a heart attack? Was it something else? They said there didn't appear to be any drugs involved or alcohol or anything. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes people just die. So I guess my point to all of this uh, you know, and sometimes I get an idea and my, my point doesn't come together till we talk our way through it, like we just did, talking about my friend who, who lost his wife and another friend who's about ready to pass, and now Bob Saget. What does it say to all of us? Are we prepared? You know, uh, we, we already just agreed, I think, a minute ago that we all have an expiration date. You just don't know really when it is. Would you want to know? Would you want to know, if somebody could tell you the date and the time you were going to die, would you want to know or would you want to just live your life until it happened? I don't know. I think the bigger question is, are you prepared? Are you ready? What do you believe happens to you after you go? Do we go on to heaven? Is there a heaven? Is there a God? Or do we just rot away in the ground and go back to what nature was? All right, so now I'm going to change gears a little bit because we, we still have some time here together. That's what's fantastic. You know, there's a place, uh, there's an internet spot called GovPilot, G-O-V-Pilot.com, GovPilot. Uh, it's a company. GovPilot is a company that uh, helps municipalities uh, change from paperwork to digital. Right, so you want a, uh, a building permit. You go down, you fill out the paperwork. There's tons and tons of paperwork. They put that on file. They give you the permit. You pay the fee or whatever. What GovPilot does is that they found uh, they go to a municipality and they give them this software. You can go online and apply. You can be approved online. You get your you get your paperwork online. It, it, it saves all that paperwork for your town, so it could save you know lots and lots of money for communities. Well, I write for their blog, uh, and I write on you know safety and security things as it relates to municipalities and what goes on there. So I just wrote one on cyber crime. Right? Cybercrime is becoming a bigger and bigger problem uh, than we ever imagined that it would be. Uh, obviously, everything is digital, and as long as the electricity stays on, we can be victimized. So there's lots of uh, scams 
there's phishing scams, you know, P-H-I-S-I-N-G, phishing, where you'll get an email that looks like it comes from your credit card company. There's a problem with your credit card account. Click in here and log in and, and put your password in so that we can talk to you about it. And really, you're just giving away your personal information that they can now get into your account and charge stuff up. But now there's things called vishing, V-I-S-H-I-N-G, vishing attacks. A vishing attack involves a verbal scam where somebody calls you up and says, Hi, I represent uh, Happy Town Cable TV and your account has been hacked. Please provide your password and your account number so we can verify it and secure the pro And people give up the information. They give it up. You know, what's your mother's maiden name? What was the, what was the code you put in? What's your account number? So we got to be aware that cybercrime is huge. And the article that I wrote for uh, govpilot.com is on the insider threat. The insider threat. So we all have a tendency, whether you have a company, uh, you, or you're affiliated with an organization, any organization you're part of that has data, whether it be financial data, the personal data of the people that are in the organization, whatever it is, um, that data is, has value. People would want it. So an insider threat is a person who's on the inside of the organization who either wittingly, on purpose, uh, attacks you and takes that data, sells it, gives it away, does something for revenge, or unwittingly does something. Uh, they fall for a phishing or a vishing scam at work. Uh, they answer questions when a phone call comes in and they give away data or company secrets or trade secrets or whatever. So this is extremely important. So I'm going to tell you, go over to govpilot.com and you can see the article that I just put up there on cybersecurity. Uh, it's near and dear to my heart. It's something I'm getting more and more uh, prepared to get involved with. I've seen scams. Uh, that happen to people all the time. And, you know, we see our elderly uh, parents and relatives and friends can be scammed very easily because they come from a different time. When the government calls and says, hey, you didn't pay your taxes, you got to get me $500 worth of uh, Google cards and mail them to me, people run out and do it because they're, they're, they're not aware that this is a scam. So we have to pay attention, make sure everybody knows what are scams and not scams. And the digital world is is a it's like the wild west out there, so that's really kind of what's uh, what I'm focusing on now with safety and security is understanding the cyber threats and the cyber crimes and and how we can do things. So, in the meantime, I want to tell everybody thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Do your best going forward. Open your eyes. Look ahead. Try and help those who need it. Be a good person. And remember, be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. We'll see you next time here on Chasing Justice.